What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. another episode of the king's pulse podcast my name is brendan nunez got rich ivanowski on here as we always do how you doing rich i'm doing well man uh we are really wrapping up our coverage of the teams around the league we are down to the last one or two we haven't decided if we're gonna save the defending champion toronto raptors for last or save the uh forever embittered rival los angeles lakers uh uh, save them for us. So we'll see. We'll see. Depending on when this comes out, you'll see. But uh, uh, as I mentioned, we've, we're going to be discussing the Toronto Raptors today. They are reigning NBA champions. And we do have Lewis Satsman here to help break it down. He is a staff writer over at Raptors Republic. How are you doing today, Lewis? Hey, guys. I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on and taking the time. And uh, usually we start with last season, but I think we're going to go back to what was pretty much a year ago at this point to last offseason and start with this Kawhi Leonard trade. We just talked uh, to someone from the Spurs on our last preview and got their perspective on the deal. How shocked were you and excited at the same time to see this deal go down and also seeing a, a fan favorite in DeRozan go the other way? Honestly, it wasn't shocking on the logical side of things, um, but it was shocking emotionally, of course. DeRozan was the, you know, the face of the franchise. Uh, I'd say Lowry was the on-court heartbeat, but DeRozan was certainly the off-court heartbeat. Um, He repped Toronto, you know, through and through. Wanted to be there, which we really hadn't hadn't had with with stars before. Um, But rationally, I mean, Toronto had lost 10 straight playoff games to the Cavs three years in a row. Uh, And it was pretty clear that the team, the the upper management, beside Jerry, Bobby Webster, um, were going to shake things up. It was likely one of DeRozan or Lowry were going to be traded, possibly both. Um, I was shocked it was Kawhi Leonard coming back. And, I mean, I knew how good he was at the time. I think everybody who watches basketball, you know, in long chunks, doesn't just watch a season at a time and who, who knew what he was before he was injured, knew what he was. And uh, yeah, I think anyone who really inhabited Toronto day in, day out, knew when Kawhi was coming that they had a chance to win. Right. And it, it really did seem at the time, we just, uh, you know, we just talked with the Spurs uh, uh, guy about this uh, that we just had on last week, but it could have been anything with Kawhi. I, I don't know how you personally felt about the injury status at the time, but um, it was one of the harder things to get a grasp on in terms of uh, evaluating a trade, evaluating you know who was going to come out on the, the upper end of that trade. And we've, as we discussed before, it doesn't necessarily need to be a winner 
and a loser of every trade. Uh, this this actually could be a good example of a team where both uh, a trade where both teams benefited because Kawhi obviously was no longer interested in playing for the Spurs and going to the Raptors. I mean, although Kawhi is now has now left for the, for the Los Angeles Clippers, I don't think you can have a more successful trade than than one that results in a championship. Is yeah. that how you're, you're viewing yeah. this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when Toronto went to the finals, because they'd never been out of the Eastern Conference Finals, um, when Toronto went there, it was already a win, no matter what happened. Even if they lost to the Warriors, even if he left after. Uh, the fact that they won, really, it was a, a cherry on top, whether he stayed or not. So, um, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys would understand the level of losing that's inundated in Toronto fans. Uh, I think we might. I think you might be underestimating the Kings past a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's been what, like, uh, well, yeah, it's been more than 10 years now. 13 years of no playoffs, yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. It's getting close. <laughs> But yeah, so then can you talk us through what, after all the losing, uh, emotionally it felt like that the entire city and country really that rallied behind this team got to experience last season. It was just amazing to see that fan base. It was special. And the level of confidence switched as well. Um, you know, facing LeBron James in the playoffs in past years, it was a real... Uh, you know, acknowledgement that it was probably going to be a loss. I mean, he was shooting one-legged bank shot buzzer beaters, pretending to drink beers. It didn't seem like he took it seriously, and he never had to. Uh, but with Kawhi Leonard, the, the whole mindset of the city, of the team, was one of absolute confidence. Um, and so, for example, Milwaukee last year really cared about the number one seed as a team as players, they, they wanted that home court advantage. And Toronto could not have cared less. They were completely confident they were you know, going to beat any team in the East, no matter who they faced, with or without home court advantage. And uh, I think the, the city really got that same vibe, that, that confidence, which was totally new as well to the fans. Yeah, and then you know, before they even got to the finals, they had that moment uh, with the Game 7 uh, bouncing shot from Kawhi, what do you think that that moment was like for the city of Toronto to see that go in? That was So if, you know, it had been pitched in Hollywood and scriptwriters had written that moment, the idea of making it the identical shot that Vince Carter missed in 2001, but just reversed. So um, for people who aren't Raptors fans, uh, Vince Carter, I'm sure you know who he is, uh, took Toronto to the Eastern Conference uh, to the second round. In 2001, they were playing Philadelphia also, um, and he missed a buzzer beater uh, from the left side of the floor that bounced the same number of times, an identical shot. Uh, and it's the same shot Kawhi Leonard played. Um, and that would have been too on the nose. It's too obvious. And so I was fortunate enough to be there, and uh, it really did feel like time slowed down and and at the time you know press row was uh totally the same as the the stands you know there was no separation between professionalism and fandom at the time it was it was a special moment yeah wow being there must have been quite the experience i can't blame the press box for reacting the same way and uh 
You know, another big piece of that championship was landing Marcus Sol as well. Uh, can you talk to what he meant to the team and also losing a fan favorite in Valanchunas and uh, a nice player in DeLon, right? As long as, as well as CJ Miles and that 2024 second rounder meant. Yeah, there was a lot that went on in that trade because uh, Valanchunas especially had been sort of um, a lightning rod for division amongst fans and writers. A number of people thought he hadn't been given a fair opportunity um, thought he deserved a, a really high usage, a starting role, trust down the fourth quarter. And he'd never had a coaching staff that gave that to him until Nick Nurse, who really said he would, and then injury uh, really cut short his time. He was splitting the starting duties with Serge Ibaka, but playing really well. And the team and, and fans a lot really saw him as a potential solution to a little bit of a losing streak before the trade deadline. Uh, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles, of course, were, you know, big parts of the city, C.J. Miles, um, sort of a, you know, a, a mentor, a really good quote for media. Uh, and it was sad to see them go, but I think it, it was clear what Marcus all was. Um, and we knew it just sort of looking at what he had done in Memphis, but it wasn't obvious until the playoffs because I know vets really leave things in reserve in the regular season, but I don't know if I've ever seen such a big difference, uh, <laughs> for a player in the regular season, the playoffs, Marcus saw, I mean, he just, his defense was something I'd never seen before uh, in Toronto from the center position. He was, he mauled people. Uh, he was stronger than Joel Embiid, than Nikola Vucevic. He just, he was absolutely massive. Yeah. And Fred Van Vliet, I think also played a big role uh, in the, the postseason, And he also definitely qualifies as a fan favorite, came up through the G league system, I believe. And that's something that Toronto, has really pr uh, prided itself on, and has, they've been incredible. I believe they had uh, Siakam was a G League MVP, and then um, they've got another G League MVP in uh, Chris Boucher, if I'm not mistaken. Is that something that you're looking to see continue from uh, – I'm forgetting the, the team name. Is it the 906 or something like that? 905, yes, yeah, the area code. That's a great question. So I, I, uh, I came up through the 905 system, you know, as a journalist. I was credentialed there before I was for the Raptors. So I love anybody who's been through the 905. Um, Siakam was a, a finals MVP when they won a championship. Um, Fred, I mean, for an undrafted guy who spent time in the G League, to be hit, to be closing the game six, the winning game in the finals, you know, not just hitting spot up jumpers, but actually ball in his hands, clock winding down. That was incredible. But exactly as you say, it's, it's part of this, process of sort of this pipeline of talent because Toronto hasn't had high draft picks for a long time. And so from Siakam to Fred Van Fleet, uh, Chris Boucher, I actually have a piece coming out tomorrow morning, which will be in the past when this goes live about, you know, the, the potential that Chris Boucher, um, you know, can bring to the NBA floor. And I really overrate him say he could be a star because that's just more fun. Uh, and there's guys in the future, you know, O'Shea Brissett, the guy from Mississauga, who looks likely to be with the 905 this year. Um, a lot of talent. Dewan Hernandez, Segba Kanate will definitely spend some time down there if he uh, if he chooses to sign with Toronto over the 905. Uh, Toronto's done a really good job of developing guys who are not projected to be first-round talents and turning them into first-round talents. And, and without that, they would absolutely not have, not have won the NBA championship. Are you currently paying off student debt? 
Interested in improving your financial literacy or looking for new ways to earn income in today's ever-changing digital landscape? Well, on the Talk Money with Mesh Lakani podcast, Mesh will follow paper trails, chat with experts, and break down complex ideas to bring clarity to the mystical financial phenomena. Each episode will be filled with compelling stories covering a broad range of subjects, from buying Bitcoin, dealing with student debt, and everything in between. Listen to Talk Money with Mesh Lakani on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and learn how to spend, invest, and earn for today's economy. Yeah, and maybe we can use that to move to some of these off-season signings that maybe could hop between a little bit. Uh, you know, can you give us sort of a rundown and not to throw too many names at you at once, but uh, let's say Cameron Payne, Isaiah Taylor, and uh, Malcolm Miller in the role that you see for them next year. For sure. Um, I would say only one of those three probably cracks the final roster. Um, Malcolm Miller has been with the 905 for a few years now. Really nice player, good perimeter defender, exceptional shooter, but um, he's in tough at the wing position. They signed Stanley Johnson, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, and those guys are pretty much guaranteed to make the roster, so I think it's likely Malcolm Miller is no longer with Toronto, which is a shame. I really like him. Uh, Cameron Payne and Isaiah Taylor are probably fighting for the 14th or 15th roster spot at the guard position. Uh, probably only one of the two. I think Campaign has the inside track. He shot a lot better, I think, um, through training camp, through, uh, you know, over his career as well. Uh, probably brings more on the defensive end. Uh, so I would give that, that nod to him. Yeah, and I think we breezed past uh, a thorough discussion of Pascal uh, Siakam just because I think that's a credit to him. Uh, everyone's sure that he's for real. Uh, you know, he won most improved player. Uh, you know, we could have discussed, you know, hey, Pascal Siakam made this big jump, but will it continue? You know, that's not the conversation we're having. But what allowed him to make that jump? And, you know, going into the next season with Kawhi Leonard departing, uh, you know, what are you expecting to see from him uh, being the number one guy? Yeah, this is his year, man. It's the same as Darren Fox. I mean, there would be a lot of parallels in just a guy who is good, athletic, and just took this jump out of nowhere. Um, you know, if someone asked you what allowed Fox to make that jump, I'm sure you would answer it in a thousand words and still not really hit on what truly did it, right? And it would be the same thing with Siakam. Um what we'll expect from him this year is it's a really good question. You know, everyone's expecting him to be the guy, but through the playoffs, the defensive um, technique really bothered him. And what teams did is they put someone a lot bigger than him on him, just sagged off. They challenged the Akam to shoot on the move or to drive into length. And I mean, he faced maybe the greatest defensive gambit of players in NBA playoff history. I mean, it was Jonathan Isaac, who's fantastic to, um, Joel Embiid, who's a defensive player of the year candidate, to Giannis, who's one of the greatest defenders of all time, to Draymond Green, who's you know a Hall of Fame defender. Um, so, on one hand, you know we they know what defense works, but on the other hand, most teams won't have defenders of that caliber to put on him. Uh, but he did spend all summer working on his ball handling, his shooting on the move, his playmaking, which he uh, which was is probably the worst part of his offensive game right now. Um, but I think there's more questions than people are uh, putting into the equation. People think he'll be, you know, a really solid first option. He, his usage rose last year and his efficiency, which is super rare. Fox did the same thing. 
Um, whether that can happen again, I'm a little curious, but he'll definitely have the ball in his hands. He'll definitely have the option. He's going to put up numbers, man. Yeah, and where do you see the improvement coming from with him? Uh, you know, whether it be his playmaking, maybe spot-up shooting, is there certain areas of his game maybe that he's expressed or that you feel like uh, you'd like to see a jump in? Yeah, those. I mean, that's exactly what he talked about uh, media day. Um, he recognized those as his weaknesses. And just from watching, you know, Rico Hines runs over the summer, just whatever film I can get, looks like he's put on maybe five, ten pounds of muscle. He looks stronger. Uh, he looks better able to wrestle with guys in the post because his post game was already strong. But against guys who had two, three inches on him, he would be, uh, you know, he'd have a predilection sometimes to throw up sort of an off-balance hook. Um, and it looks like he will probably have more balance in the post against big guys. Uh, his jumper, though, is the main thing that stands out. Playmaking's tough to tell in off-season videos, but his jumper, he's practicing on the move, which he never did before. Um, and if he's able to sort of get that mid-range ISO, uh, that fadeaway in the post, you know, sort of pretty basic shots in the isolation game, um, then that could really unlock a whole new level of, you know, alpha dog scorer type thing from him. So generally in the middle of the podcast, sort of the, the meat of these episodes of these season previews, we're breaking down every move in the offseason. And generally that's, that's focused on players that are going to be added, whether through free agency or the draft. But, you know, quite frankly, there, there isn't much to talk about here. We can talk about Stanley Johnson. We can talk about Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, uh, campaign, Patrick McCaw, um, Terrence Davis, who I, I have heard some really interesting things about uh, as an undrafted free agent, but um, I mean, no first round draft picks. No, no one came out of the draft to Toronto uh, other than the 59th overall pick in Dewan Hernandez. Um, yeah, and those guys I mentioned, those are the acquisitions Patrick McCaw, Stanley Johnson, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson, Terrence Davis, and Cameron Payne. Uh, and obviously, there's two huge departures in Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green. And, you know, so to, to put this question bluntly, do you think in terms of additions and subtractions, this team had the worst offseason in the league? Oh, I mean, straight up. Yeah, the team got worse, right? You can't replace Kawhi Leonard. Um, once he decided to leave, there's not a ton the team can do about that. So absolutely. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, Toronto finally broke through um, and they lost a little of that legitimacy with Kawhi leaving. The odds of them having a real chance at defending the championship are pretty slim. Um, so sure, you're, you're absolutely right to ask that question. Uh, that doesn't mean the rest of their offseason was minimal. I actually think it was really positive. Uh, the team sees Devon Hernandez and Terrence Davis both as first-round talents. Um, that could be a little bit of bluster, just trying to talk up their offseason. But they had them really high on their board. Terrence Davis, for example, took the Fred Van Fleet path, which is quite rare, where he found out he wasn't going to be drafted in the first round. He expected it. And his agent told teams not to draft him after that. Um, he said, you know, uh, if you draft, I, I won't sign. He wanted to be an undrafted free agent. He wanted to choose his team. He chose Toronto. Um, and it's so funny that the two of them actually chose the same path, ended up on the same team. And I have a, another piece in the works where I'll be chatting with them about that. But it's a real bond between them, and it, it's already been a connection. 
um, whether Terrence Davis can, you know, follow the same path, closing out NBA Finals games like Van Fleet. Sure, that's all up in the air, but still an interesting story and a super talented guy. Um, well, Rodney Hollis Jefferson's a guy who I think has some untapped potential, you know, plays defense like a madman, underrated passer. He'll slot into the system really well, you know, he'll give them good minutes. Uh, so lots to be excited about, lots to write about, lots to learn about, but certainly they're not going to, this collection of guys isn't replacing Kawhi Leonard. This collection of guys is probably not taking them to the finals. Right, but they're still going to be competitive in the East that really falls off after that second seed. And uh, one guy that, like you said, nobody's replacing Kawhi, but coming in at that same position, you mentioned Hollis Jefferson and as someone with a little bit of untapped potential, and I feel like Stanley Johnson falls under that same thing. Um, what do you think that they see in Stanley Johnson and uh, the role that he will have going into this year, still only being 23 years old? Yeah, so I see him, he had a really interesting comment to media. Um, so I asked him about, you know, uh, why Toronto, right? And he said 100% it was a player development program. Uh, Toronto develops guys as well or better than anyone in the league, and that's where he wanted to be. But he also said, you know, Toronto last year, two years ago, everything was threes or layups, right? It was the Houston analytics-friendly offense. And last year, Nick Nurse, who designed that analytics offense, um, totally rewrote the playbook, said mid-range is fine. You know, Kawhi, you're allowed to shoot from wherever you want. And part of that um, attracted Stanley Johnson. I mean, he doesn't want to just spot up around the arc. He doesn't see that as a strength. And when he's asked to just shoot threes, he doesn't think he'll make much money as a free agent. And so he saw in Toronto a place that would allow him to play to his strengths as a slasher, as a driver, as a cutter. Um, that being said, I actually see him more as a camp battle with OG Ananobi. Um, Ananobi is sort of a, just a more polished version of Stanley Johnson. A um, little bit more athletic, much better shooter, uh, tighter on defense, longer. Uh, and so I, I don't know if Stanley Johnson is going to play a ton of minutes. Um, I think the small forward spot has a lot of bodies jostling for time. And Ananobi, if all things go to the Raptors' plans, should take the lion's share of minutes there. Um, but that being said, Johnson, you know, has stuff to add. And, uh, and certainly another guy who, for a 12th spot on the roster, you've got to be happy with him, right? Yeah, I... I, I, you know, okay. So I want to push back a little bit. I want to do it respectfully. And and this is not, you know, this isn't the basis of our podcast. Isn't to, to start arguments or to try to disagree with our guests. We, we generally, especially for these previews, we really just try to put these questions forward and get out of the way and and just hear what you have to say. But um, I do just, I want to push back a little bit on this being a good off season. Because, you know, these guys, Patrick McCaw, two years, eight million. I don't, I would have been surprised that, you know, I was surprised that, that they offered that deal to him. I would have been very surprised if another team had offered that deal to him. Uh, Stanley Johnson, the player option, you know, you're good there. You know, I'm not so much worried about the money. You know, there is, he's, he's a very skilled defender. The you know, same thing you could say about Ronnie Ellis Jefferson, but these are not significant additions. So, you know, and I also get the excitement about an unsigned free agent and the 59th pick. I, I listen, you guys are the Raptors. Like if anyone can take those types of guys and turn them into the next series contributor, 
it's Toronto. I, I absolutely get that. But to be truly excited about this offseason, I just want to I want to double check that that's where you're at because <laughs> even with Kawhi, like let's say you know putting the Kawhi and Danny Green stuff aside, I still feel like this team lost a little bit of footing relative to the moves that most teams around them, most competitive contending teams, you know, made this offseason. Do you think that's unfair? No, no, of course. Look, when I say I'm excited, it's relative. Um, and my excitement partially is because I love those end of bench battles. My, my beat is, <laughs> is the 10th through 15th roster spots came up through the G league system. That's just tons of my interest is there. It's also easier for me to get one-on-one interviews with those guys. So that helps uh, partially what gets me excited. But the fact of the matter is Toronto is capped out. You know, if they can't re-sign Kawhi with bird rights, they're not getting anybody. So they used their mid-level exception to sign guys they thought were great. And they used a 59th pick in the draft to get two rookies they saw in the, as in the first round. And so, sure, it may not be as exciting as signing, uh, you know, Anthony or trading for Anthony Davis or, or signing Kawhi Leonard. But for what the Raptors had available to them, they really knocked it out of the park. Of course, you know, they were already at a huge deficit having lost Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green. Um, and so it'll always be tempered with negativity because that's the starting point. But I think from there, they did, they did well. And the other thing worth mentioning is they didn't impact their cap space next summer or the summer after that when they are going really big game hunting. Toronto um, has their aim set on Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, uh, Masai Ujiri goes way back with him. And, uh, and so Toronto brought in guys around the edges, people they want to look at, people they want to develop without harming their chance to build a championship team very soon. The goal is to rebuild quite quickly. And, you know, I think something that could really help uh, fans and a little bit of some outside viewers with this offseason would be locking in Siakam long-term. What is the story with uh, his extension when it seems like it should, uh, uh, Max extension, at least in my mind, seems like it should be on the table for him? Oh, for sure. I think team and player both agree. Um, I don't think a deal will get done. That's just because there's a lot of trust there. And if they re-sign him now, his cap hit next summer is his new deal. But if they wait until the summer, his cap hit is three times his current, um, or two and a half, two and a half or three times his current salary, which is like 2.4. So his cap hit is just 7 million if they wait to extend him until next summer. And that opens up an extra max free agent slot. So really, the only reason they're waiting is for cap space in the summer. If you know Siakam offers something less than maximum, just for security's sake, then the team has to really think about locking him in before the October deadline. But I doubt that. I think they just wait until the summer, take the free agent spot, lock him in then. So let's talk about what this team is going to be going forward a little bit. Um, Let's focus in on these guys that are going to be taking big steps forward next season. You know, who, who is the next guy? Uh, who, who's taking the, the next big step here? Or, um, you know, it could be someone who's already, you know, already established. I mean, is Siakam expecting another big step? Are you expecting that from him? Or if you had to pick one guy that you think is going to be a new player at the end of the year and a, and a better, most improved player for this team, who would that be? A lot of fun options. I'd go with Norman Powell. Um, 
he's being asked to be um, a one skill offensive player for a long time. Um, you know, he's been asked to stand in the corner and shoot, you know, two years ago, last year, he was asked to create with bench units. Um, and with, without spacing, he, he's not a fantastic creator. He can get to the rim, but he turns it over a lot. Doesn't shoot great against contests. Um, but it's just that one thing. And this year he's probably going to start at the two spot, at least a lot of the nights. And they're asking him to do pretty well, anything he wants. You know, he can, up his usage rate a lot. He can drive, he can pass, he can shoot. Uh, he can lock up against offenders or against the other team's best best wing offender. Um, and I think given that freedom, he'll have a comfort in his, you know, his minute total on one hand and also in his role. Um, and I saw that a lot on media day. He was, he seemed just more comfortable talking with people. He seemed more comfortable in himself, his position on the team. Uh, he has a ton of talent. And even though his, you know, his output has sort of been up and down over the past few years, he's always come through in the playoffs, usually against the Bucks for some reason. But uh, I think this year is going to be a year where we really see his explosion. He might average like, I don't know, 14, 15 points. Not a huge number, but definitely a step forward for him. And then the other side of this question in regards to taking a step back, I think that uh, it's pretty easy to identify the guys that could be doing this, the older ones in Lowry, Gasol, and Ibaka. Uh, Tell me if you agree with identifying those three, and if so, how far do you see them uh, potentially regressing this season? I think the regression, first of all, yeah, great question. I agree that those are the names, but the the regression will be one in uh, quantity, not one in quality. So last year you saw, for example, Lowry really didn't turn it on every night. Didn't even do it in the playoffs on the offensive end, although defensively he was, you know, top two or three players on that team. Um, and then, you know, game six of the playoffs, he scores the first 13, or game six of the finals, he scores the first 13 points for the Raptors. Like this is a guy who still has every trick in the book, still a great shooter, can still get to the rim, but he can't do it every night. You know, he's not scoring 20 a night, even if he can score 20 on any single night, if that makes any sense. Um, so quantity. Uh, Serge Ibaka, I see as a guy who um, is just up and down. You know, he makes his mistakes, but then he'll do something so phenomenally incredible <laughs> in the second half that you'll forget about it. Um, I don't know if I see that changing. He's younger than the other two. He has less mileage. Uh, I, I think his game will be fairly similar. Um, Marcus Gasol, again, I mean, I don't think he'll go super hard in the regular season. He's going to have a lot of load management days. Um, and he's someone who, if the Raptors fall off, if they're not, you know, fighting for that three or four seed, Lowry has legacy status. Serge Ibaka has two years on his deal, which is less enticing, and he's not as good as Marcus Gasol. Gasol's expiring. You know, we've already seen he can dominate in the playoffs on the defensive end. So I think if the Raptors seem like they might not be able to make a push in the playoffs, he could be the guy to go in the trade deadline because he's still quite valuable. The King's Pulse podcast is recorded and hosted on Anchor. It is the easiest way to make a podcast and it is 100% free. It gives you everything you need to record, edit all of it so it sounds smooth and professional and upload it all from your phone and or your computer. They distribute your podcast to every major platform. They give you an opportunity to make some money in the process as well. 
Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So there's going to be a couple new, uh, a couple empty slots in the starting rotation here, starting lineup and closing lineup with the departures. Can you help us figure out what the the primary looks for this team are going to be? Who do you think is going to be starting? Who do you think is going to be closing? And then maybe uh, the first couple of guys off the bench, uh, sixth man, seventh man, that type of thing. For sure. Um, so Nick Nurse is all about switching starting roles. So if it seems like I'm hedging my bet, it's because a starter may only start, you know, 50 games. Well, uh, another guy will start 30. So there will be a little mixing and matching, but the starting five should be Lowry one, Norman Powell two, OG Ananobi three, Pascal Siakam four, Marcus Saul five. Um, Serge Ibaka, Fred Van Fleet um, will also mix and match into that starting lineup quite a bit. Uh, Fred, when Lowry sits at the one, he'll also slot in at the two quite a bit to start. Um, Fred will be the sixth man. He'll play starters minutes. He'll play, you know, mid-30s every game when he's healthy. Um, uh, There will be a third point guard who will get minutes. I don't really know if it'll be McCaw, who they're trying to mold into a point guard, or Cameron Payne. I expect it'll be McCaw. Terrence Davis, they also say, is a point guard, so that's kind of up in the air. (laughs) Shooting guard um, Matt Thomas will get some time just because he's such a ridiculous shooter. I don't know if he brings so much. I think, honestly, by the end of the year, I think Terrence Davis will take those minutes. He's just so solid as a rookie. Um, so it'll be Norm, Fred, then Terrence Davis, third third shooting guard spot. At the small forward, Ananobi should take most of the minutes, but Norm will also slot down into the three spot quite a bit. Sorry, I realize this is... A little, little technical and all over the map. I no, <laughs> no, that's not a, we like silly. that. Yeah, please go in as, as far depth as you can. Cool, yeah. So normal takes a minute there, especially against smaller wings. He could even start some games when they need extra shooting, extra playmaking. Um, Stanley Johnson will get some minutes there. Patrick McCall will get some minutes there. Terrence Davis will get some minutes there. Really depends on the opponent, depends on the health of the lineup. Um, the four spot is a little bit thinner. I see the thinnest. Uh, Pascal Siakam will play tons of minutes there, but they want to play him at the three a lot too, just because they want to see what he does against anybody. Um, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson is the main backup at the four spot, but Ananobi, Stanley Johnson, um, and Chris Boucher will all see time there as well. Boucher especially is a wild card. He um, he just has so much skill. I mean, he's a guy who can he can handle, he can block shots around the rim, he can block jump shooters. Uh, he's a finisher. He he can shoot himself. If he really turns it on, he could take a lot of minutes at the four spot or the five spot. And then the center, really just Gasol and Ibaka and uh, Boucher filling in spot minutes. So that's a little simpler. And then just uh, at the end there again, can you give us what your five was? Oh, yeah, closing. Yeah, the closing five is a lot easier. Uh, it will always be Kyle Siakam. And, uh, and Gasol whenever they're healthy. And then the other two will probably always be Fred, um, who's certainly a top five talent on the team, even though, you know, he plays point guard behind Lowry. And then the other one will probably be one of Norm or Ananobi based on opponents uh, or shooting. I would probably say Ananobi more often. Right. And then uh, one of the 
final things we want to get from you here is kind of a hard number on the win total of this team. The Vegas over-under, uh, I saw one of them a, a good amount higher, but in general, it was about 46 wins. How do you feel about that number? Do you feel it's about right? Would you take uh, over-under on that? It's a hard, there's so many variables. For so many teams, you know, you look at the talent and you guess the win total. But for Toronto, you don't know how many games Lowry's going to play. Could be 65, could be 45. I mean, his thumb, he got thumb surgery over the offseason. Apparently, it's still acting up. You don't know how many games Marc Gasol is going to play. You don't even know if anybody's going to be traded. And so I think given health and given no trades, Toronto would win 50 games easy. They have the talent and the experience. But because I really do expect a lot of load load management, saving guys for the playoffs, I think 46 is probably right. They could even slip in a tad under that if Lowry and Gasol miss time. Lowry especially, if he misses any time, the team will just be awful on the offensive end. He's he's the most dynamic creator they have. Without him, they're in trouble. Um, but even if they only win 46, 45 games, they're going to be a really dangerous team in the playoffs. So just to clarify, you you taking the under slightly there? Yeah, I mean... If, yeah, I'll, I'll qualify it. If healthy over, if unhealthy under. And I know that that's absolutely ridiculous because everyone would say that for every over under always. Um, but these are guys who they're going to sit even without health problems. So sure, I'll go under just because I assume they'll, they'll sit guys. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then what do you think that means in terms of playoff seating? Because I agree, you know, this is a team that could be very problematic even with their departures uh, it can be very, very problematic in the playoffs. A lot of dynamic defenders, and, and that's going to create issues immediately, no matter who they're facing. But uh, this East is also very up for grabs after the first couple of teams. I think there's a consensus that the Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers are, are locked in as the two favorites. But after that, there's questions with every team. There's questions with the Celtics, with the Pacers, with you know, I mean, you can go down the entire list. We even uh, talked with the Heat, a guy, a guy from the Heat the other day covers the Heat, and I put forth an argument that there's a scenario where the Heat could even finish third, and I think that's definitely a scenario, a possibility for Toronto, but if you had to guess where they end up at the end of the regular season, where do you think they slot in in the playoff picture? Yeah, I agree with you that it's as up in the air as we've ever seen. I'd say they would finish probably fifth and I mean just spitballing um I think they'll face Boston in the playoffs because Toronto and Boston have been you know you said in the beginning of the pod you didn't know whether you were going to do Toronto last or your arch nemesis last well Boston has been the nemesis that Toronto has never had a chance to play in the playoffs during this era and we deserve it man we want a championship Toronto just needs to finally play Boston in the playoffs and if it's four or five I think Toronto just really puts him in the ground. Toronto is, unless they face Philadelphia or Milwaukee in the first round, I think they dominate that first round series. They just, they have so many proven playoff winners. And like you say, that defense is going to maul opponents. By the fifth, sixth games, opponents will really run out of legs, run out of offensive options. Um, I don't know if I would take Toronto against, in that second round, if they get Philadelphia or Milwaukee. Um, I would probably lean towards those other teams, but I think Toronto is a team no one wants to play in the playoffs. 
All right, so I've I've been uh, revealed here to be a bit of a Celtics fan before I had hopped onto the Kings here. <laughs> shamefully, shamefully yeah, so. Yeah, right. So I'm going to buck yeah, back shamefully. a little bit here. I think that the Celtics, and I agree with you, I want to see the playoff matchup. It feels like every regular season matchup is very entertaining. The home team seems to come out on top all the time. Um, yeah. So I feel like the Celtics' weaknesses – come on the defensive end obviously the one in the five and that's terrifying because a one five pick and roll is the most traditional thing ever but like you're saying the strength of this Toronto team really comes on the defensive end and I think that Mm -hmm. the Celtics have the offense covered I think they have a lot of options there Um, so I do think that that would be a closer matchup than uh, how I feel you're portraying it here I think there's a difference between you know uh, a team that has the offense covered uh, in the regular season and in the playoffs. And I mean, we saw that last year with Milwaukee against Toronto. They're a team who could just, they scored 130 every game, it seemed like, in the regular season. And when the game mattered against Toronto, I mean, not the first quarter, but really in, in games three, four, five, six, in the second half, they could not buy a bucket. I mean, they were hoisting contested mid range jumpers possession after possession. They could not figure out the defense. And so Boston may have a good offense in the regular season, but can Kemba, I mean, Toronto switches Pascal Siakam willingly. I mean, as a, just a hawk to get onto point guards. Can Kemba break him down and finish over help? I don't think that's a, an efficient form of offense. And I, I don't know if it's enough to free up, you know, open corner shooters. I just think Toronto will, will put the clamps on whatever they have going on. And, you know, my follow-up here will be is who do you think – how do you feel about their wing defense? I know Siakam's great. Um, if Van Fleet's in that closing lineup with Lowry, it's a little smaller there if they're guarding, say, maybe a Jalen Brown, but I have a little bit of faith there. What do you think about the three, though? Uh, OG seems like the defender there to me. Maybe Stanley Johnson, Hollis Jefferson. They're good defenders, but how do you think they would fare come playoff time there? Yeah, that's a fair question. Ananobi has, uh, I mean, he's earned his regular season defensive druthers. Uh, Two years ago, he was the guy defending LeBron James in the regular season and doing a really good job of it. Um, In the playoffs, I, of course, you know, it's a little more difficult. I'm not sure he would be as, I'm not sure it would be so easy for him to lock up a Jason Tatum, for example. Um, But the thing about Toronto's defense is they, they have tons of options like you added. If it's a, a smaller wing player, I think Norman Powell would be the best defensive option. I mean, the guy, screens don't bother him at all. He just he ducks and dodges around everything. Um, and Fred Van Fleet is another guy who can just eliminate shooters. You saw that with the box and one with Steph Curry. So it's not so much the individual defenders other than Siakam and Gasol who can you know just lock down whomever. It's the team's ability to put forward whichever defender they need for whichever situation, because no one in that rotation is a poor defender. Everyone's a plus defender. And when it comes to the team defense, you know, that those tactics, that's what really allows the team to shut down offenses. Yeah. And let me just say, Brendan, for as all the crazy homerism that you display over, not even homerism, you're not from Boston. It's uh, it's just bandwagonism. <laughs> it's but just lunacy, for, right? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just bandwagonism. For all that, I'm going to. I've decided that I'm going to be the biggest Boston Celtics hater on the face of the earth. And uh, every time you bring up the Celtics, I'm just gonna uh, really just shit on them. So that's 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 where I'm at. 
uh, sure. earn, earn that explicit tag for this episode. Dave. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so moving on to the team that we're focusing on today, back to the Raptors uh, in the, the three to five year range. This is our final question. We like to ask every team, you know, looking forward, we'd like to get a, a, a projection and a, a prediction on, you know, the arc of this team in the near future. Uh, you know, not this year, but looking down the line a little bit. And it's tough. It's especially with, you know, a, a GM like Usai Majiri. I mean, anything seems possible. Um, but, yeah, what are, you, what are your feelings about this team going forward? Do you think that another championship is a possibility in the next five years? Or are they a little – have they taken too much of a hit to get there? No, it's certainly a possibility, but it does involve Giannis, of course. So there's a couple paths. Um, probably the most likely path is they don't trade anyone this season. They re-sign Lowry because he's legacy status. Gasol walks. Um, they're not as good next year. They trade Ibaka expiring, and they enter uh, an actual rebuild with high draft picks, not just trying to rebuild from the late 20s. That seems like the most likely possibility just because, you know, you want to make money as MLSE and playoff games make money so you don't, you know, tank early. Um, the other possibility is they actually sign Giannis in 21, the summer of 21-22. Um, they pair him with Pascal Siakam and any other max slot, you know, wh- whomever's available, and uh, win a championship. That's certainly possible. I think I read from a reliable source that Masai Ujiri um, helped the Antetokounmpo family uh, get citizenship in Greece when they moved there. They certainly go way back in Nigeria. Uh, there is a relationship. Giannis comes to Toronto all the time, loves Greek town, the Danforth, the East End. I live in the West End, but the East End is cool too. Um, so there's a relationship. You know, there's, there's rumors, there's bubbling. Uh, that's a possibility. And I guess the third possibility is the team just goes ride or die with veterans, you know, re-sign Gasol, Lowry, Ibaka till the end, you know, make free agent signings of slightly over the hill guys, a little bit overpaid, a la Damari Carroll, and uh, just, you know, go to the second round five years in a row. I think that's the least likely thing, just because Masai Ujiri has shown no appetite for doing anything like that. But uh, those seem like sort of the three timelines uh, I've been watching a lot of community, so. <laughs> yeah, wh- what's the wait, what's the darkest timeline? <laughs> the darkest timeline is going to the second round of the playoffs every year, which that's, isn't that dark, that's not, right? Yeah, I mean, that's not that dark. That's not that dark. I think <laughs> yeah, the darkest I mean, timeline. No championship. The darkest timeline is Serge, uh, uh, is uh, Serge Ibaka loses an arm, right? That's I think that. Yeah, yeah, grows a goatee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess the darkest timeline is Masai Ujiri is baited away to the Knicks or to become the president of the United States or some other such glamorous job. Um, Probably not going to happen. I think he really likes Toronto and wants to stay. But that would be the darkest timeline. If Ujiri left, that would be as devastating as Kawhi Leonard leaving. And I know that staff, that coaches are not as valuable as – as players. I mean, for example, as a Boston fan, you should be ridiculed for that Brad Stevens nonsense till the end of time. And yet I'm doing the same thing right now by saying a jury is just as valuable in Toronto. So ridicule me right back. <laughs> Fair enough. 
That's uh, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. And wasn't Ujiri almost, uh, or at least in rumors of potentially going to? I think it was Washington, which obviously Washington is not the most appealing. But yeah, I I was a real conspiracy theorist about that. I forget. I had a real deep take on that one because the leak was released by, um, and I forget what I I had it down pat. The leak was released by an outlet. Um, or the leak was leaked by an agent who is also the agent of, um, you know, so one of the warrior stars, I forget whom, but I thought it was just to throw Toronto off before the finals was the basic premise. I didn't buy that one at all. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I, I see where you're coming from with that a little bit, if that was the case. And, uh, I think that's all that we had for you, Lewis, unless Rich, you have anything else you want to throw in here. We want to give you a chance at the end to, uh, Plug anything and everything you got going on, man. Yeah, very on brand for me, ending on conspiracy theories. I love it. Um, I have a piece. Today is the, uh, what's the date? Today is the third. So I have a piece coming out um, on the morning of the fourth. Hopefully it'll be out by the time this airs. All about Chris Boucher. It's really in-depth. I look at most of his offensive possessions from last year. I have also a piece coming out um that's with Raptors Republic I have a piece with an exciting outlet that I'll share when it is released um, about Terrence Davis Fred Van Vliet that connection and I'm going to have some exciting sit downs with both of those guys so lots of really cool stuff right and that's I mean you asked why I was excited about an offseason that lost Kawhi Leonard and I guess it's because there's always a story to tell even if the team is worse awesome man yeah thank you so much for joining us and everyone who's listening uh, go follow at Lewis Zatzman, and then you'll see those articles uh, as they pop up. Yeah, and thank you to everybody for listening to this episode of the King's Pulse Podcast. You will hear from us again in the next couple days. Hey guys, it's Mike. As you know, I adopted my pup Rocky from a local rescue. Now, when people ask me what kind of dog Rocky was, I was always stumped. I used an Embark Dog DNA test to decode my most puzzling questions about Rocky. You can also learn about your dog's inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlock over 350 breeds and screen for over 200 genetic health risks. Save $50 on a breed and health kit with promo code KIT at EmbarkVet.com. Again, that's promo code KIT.